Iowa's Newsworthy Past is a project imagined and curated by me, Kristen Noonan, a newly minted librarian. With help from Rod Library at the University of Northern Iowa, I come through an encyclopedic, handy-dandy, Iowa Historical Newspaper Library Guide to select stories and record myself reading them out loud all in my basement. The music you're listening to right now is by Iowa City's Blake Shaw, and the music you're about to notice in the background is by Memphis resident Brendan Lee Spengler. Tune in and out as your time allows, and please enjoy your totally free, no strings attached, last from the past. It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to January 29th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Our first stop on this day in history will be in Cedar Falls, Iowa. In the Cedar Falls Gazette newspaper on January 29, 1864. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll! State Orphan Asylum A resolution has been offered in our state senate inquiring into the necessity of building an asylum for the support and education of the orphaned children of Iowa soldiers, and a special committee of five appointed to report a bill if it be deemed expedient to provide such an institution. We trust that this most praiseworthy and humane proposition will meet with favor at the hands of our legislators, and that the necessary legislation for its endowment and establishment be at once enacted. We have asylums for our deaf and dumb, our blind and insane, and surely it has much our duty to provide for these unfortunate children who, through the casualties of war, have been deprived of their natural protectors and guardians, and likewise of homes and the means of acquiring an education. Have we not as a state pledged to those who went forth to fight the battles of our country that we would watch over, care for, and protect the families they left in our midst. And when the fathers have sealed with their blood, with their devotion, their devotion to a cause, that it was as much our duty to defend as theirs, we surely cannot grudge the pittance that would provide a comfortable home for their children, and give them the judicious training and education that would fit them to become honorable and useful members of society. It would be a noble action for the state to adopt as its own such children of our patriot, dead as need a protector. And while such action would be a source of gratification to every liberal-minded patriot, it would be but partial payment of the great debt we owe to our soldier dead of Iowa. No state was ever the loser in adopting broad philanthropic and humane measures for the comfort and morale and social advancement of those unable to help themselves, and we trust that Iowa will not be backward in this great work. We have done much for the cause of humanity, but let us not weary in well-doing. 
though the resolution spoken of and our remarks refer to the orphaned children of soldiers, we agree with the Davenport Gazette that it would be well to take a little broader ground and establish an asylum for all needy orphans, whether of civilians or soldiers, and probably this idea will suggest itself to the committee and that a discrimination that would hardly be just may be avoided. Capital Letter We give our readers this week a most interesting letter from Des Moines, an experience of a quarter of a century in the editorial harness gives the pen of the writer a succinctness and piquancy that the quill of a novice cannot attain. We hope to hear from the gentleman often. From the Capitol, Des Moines, January 16, 1864. Dear Sir, whilst the rebellion is raging, it is not expected that any other question can scarcely claim public attention. Yet since the enlargement of the Gazette, you may have room for a few items occasionally from the capital of our state. One week of legislation has passed, and your senators and representatives are just ready to begin the real business for which they were assembled. Owing to the inclemency of the weather and deepness of the snow, they arrived here through trials sore, some of them not till near the close of the week. Both branches were thoroughly organized on Monday and Tuesday. An individual coming here from the rural districts is somewhat astonished to see the number of hungry seekers after office at the opening of the session. They are legion and as brazen in their demands as hotel runners at a Chicago depot. These, however, are not a seven-year nor a seven-day plague. Two days somewhat clears the stairs and halls of this capital. But a legislator need not congratulate himself too largely on his, this deliverance. Clouds of busy bodies hedge up his pathway. There are thousands of magnificent plans and pet projects that are to be carried by their special friends. A railroad or a college or a charitable institution want donations until in fact one is compelled to confess ours is a great state with great and diversified wants. Among the fortunate and worthy men who were successful is your fellow citizen, Zinni Strector, who is elected sergeant-at-arms in the house. I was rejoiced to find he was so deservedly popular with the assembled wisdom of the state. The situation exactly suits him. It is good pay and nothing to do. Practice, who is a very staid old gentleman, decides it is necessary to have this officer, and luck decides that Zimri has as good a right to it as anyone. Governor Kirkwood's message was delivered on the second day of the session. It is a plain, practical document and gives us a fair insight into the affairs of the state. Anyone that reads it carefully will be led to conclude that the members of the legislature will not be apt to wade through deep snow drifts on their return home. He cuts out work enough for a long session. 
and if some of the members do not have to draw upon their friends at home to pay their hotel bills, the prospect will have to brighten before the close of winter. A man can get tolerably tolerable good boarding here at the hotels for $14 per week by dispensing with a good many extras and luxuries. Des Moines is probably like all other towns and cities. During the session of the legislator, they expect the members to do wonders for them. They expect them to pay all the old debts on the churches, buy new carpets, and pay the preacher's salaries to head the lists on sanitary and charitable donations and purchase graveyards to help weeping widows and gaunt orphans. It is good enough for them. If they cannot stand all these things, what business have they to be candidates for such demanding positions? The Senate this week passed a bill disbanding the Southern Border Brigade, a military organization much needed two years ago, but which has been only a useless bill of expense to the state for the past year. They also passed a bill giving clerks of the boards of supervisors the casting vote in case of a tie. There is now a bill before the Senate reducing the number of supervisors to three. There is a probability, judging from the expressions of members, that something of this kind will be adopted this winter. This morning, the President of the Senate announced the standing committees. Upon the wise arrangement of these committees depends the progress of business and the character of the legislation. If the committees are not arranged rightly, it will be because Lieutenant Governor Eastman misunderstood the character of members, for he has labored and studied faithfully over the matter. The senator from your district has been given at least his share of the work on committees. He is chairman of the Committee on Agriculture, and he is on three other important committees, to wit, railroads, printing, and internal improvements. In the House, the committees will not be announced till Monday or Tuesday next. There is now a bill before the Senate adding another member to the Supreme Court, and outside gossips say the bill is to be passed giving the appointment to the governor for two years. Instead of passing the bill and allowing the position to be filled next October by the people, it is said that Honorary C. C. Cole is to have the place. You are aware, Mr. Editor, but some of your readers may not be, that Mr. Cole is a late convert to the Republican Party, and if we would keep up our credit, we must pay him pretty soon. He is a man of fine talents, and he struck noble blows for the Union during the late canvass. Governor Stone delivered his inaugural message on Friday last. He is a live man, and his message is full of vim. It was received by the legislature and the vast audience assembled to witness the inauguration by boisterous enthusiasm. Disguise it as some attempt to, yet the preservation of the Union is the great question, both in national and state governments. 
and there is propriety at this time in governors devoting their messages and their energies to national matters. Governor Stone gives no uncertain sound as to the aim of his administration in putting down the rebellion. Railroad matters are arresting the attention of nearly every member. Situated as we are, railroads are of the highest importance. There is considerable squirming about the Marshalltown Road. Many of those deeply interested in it are in favor of turning it south from Nevada and connecting at Des Moines with the Mississippi and Missouri Road and run from thence jointly to Council Bluffs so as to connect the Pacific Road at that point. General Dix of New York, who is deeply interested in the road, favors this project. Others favor running a branch from Nevada to Des Moines and get time from the legislature and Congress to finish the road from Nevada west. To this plan, many here from the Missouri Slope are opposed. There is also said to be a plan on foot to defraud many of the honest creditors out of what they have given to build that road from Cedar Rapids on west. As the session advances these and other plans and schemes will be more fully developed. There has quite a change come over Des Moines in the last four years. Then all was plain, practical, and economical. The stores and groceries then contained the necessaries of life. The people at church and social parties dressed for comfort and respectability. Now the stores are filled with the most expensive and extravagant luxuries and fancy articles. Merchants are overrun from morning till night with customers who purchase greedily at extravagant prices. At the churches, the women's heads represent a bouquet of flowers, and the women are hid beneath a pile of costly furs. But there are but few costly parties, cotillions, or hops. They are all merged into might societies, soldiers' aid societies, and so on. Governor Stone has reappointed N.B. Baker, Adjutant General of the State, this testimony is that General Baker has been a very efficient officer. The presidential question has been boldly inaugurated. The state register has declared for Lincoln and pledged the state for him in the national convention. The call is out for a state convention on the 22nd of next month to appoint delegates to a national convention. So it is no longer contraband to talk, write, and read about the next presidency. When the legislature begins to cut and carve at state matters in earnest, there may be things that will interest your readers. And now from the Cedar Falls Gazette's January 29, 1869 issue. Visit to the home. We took occasion on Monday of this week to look through the soldiers' orphans' home it being our first visit since Mr. and Mrs. Tucker were placed in charge. We have heretofore spoken of the work which this institution is doing for the fatherless and in many instances motherless children of our state, and yet we never pass through the several departments 
and examine into its systematic management without desiring to add a word more in praise of the noble-hearted people who first inaugurated the enterprise and so heartily sustained it until the state took it in charge and appropriated a sufficient amount to run through each year without embarrassment. It is no undue praise to say that the home is in excellent condition. It is out of debt and has been since last September. The books show a surplus in the treasury of $300. There are now 280 children present and applications are being made every week. The children maintain their usual good health and none are in the hospital. But one death has occurred among them in 28 months and none since December 1868. The school is divided into four departments and in charge of thorough teachers. They are Mrs. Hartshorn, Shank, Crowell, and West. The discipline and instruction of the schools are very good. The cleanliness and general condition of the departments throughout bear evidence of efficient management. Mr. Tucker is evidently the right man in the right place, carrying the respect and goodwill of the children. They have found in Mr. and Mrs. Tucker a true father and mother to them all. The recent purchase of one of Lamb's knitting machines for the manufacture of socks has been found to be of great advantage. A pair of socks by this machine may knit in 30 minutes, which will last five times as long as the common shoddy make used heretofore. The number present make the home very much crowded. The new building is greatly needed. Conjugal Love and the Happiness of True Marriage Essay for Young Men on the Errors, Abuses, and Diseases which Destroy the Manly Powers and create impediments to marriage, with sure means of relief, sent in sealed letter envelopes, free of charge. Address Dr. J. Skillen Houghton, Howard Association, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Cornell College. For both sexes, with 10 able professors and teachers, full classical and scientific courses, preparatory, commercial and ornamental departments, ample buildings and appliances, and 450 students annually. In a town noted for temperance, board and tuition low. For catalog, address the president, Reverend William F. King, A.M., Mount Vernon, Iowa. That's it for January 29th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, thanks for listening. Hey, if you liked your ride, remember that you can follow me on Instagram at Iowa's Newsworthy Past. If you didn't like your ride, well, maybe you will tomorrow.